maybe it's the brain, <clears throat> but I feel like I could have just sat there for 30 minutes and listened to them sing with my eyes closed. You can't be blamed for what you think about first thing in the morning. Um, but, and I don't know why, but woke up, I heard the rain, and I thought of a song that four people in here know, California Dreamin'. <laughs> Remember, it's, it's, they had to get out of the cold, so he walked into a church, got, fell down on my knees to pray. What does it say? Preacher likes the cold, knows I'm going to stay. So that's the phrase that was in my mind. Preacher likes the cold rain, knows you're going to stay. No, no place else to go this morning. Thankfully, we're going to hear from the Lord in Psalm 13. So if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you. Page 453, Psalm 13. It's a Psalm of David. Let's stand and read God's Word together. To the choir master... A Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. But because he has dealt bountifully with me. You may have a seat and let's reflect for a moment on God's word. Our focus last week, in case you weren't here, was on Jesus' exhortation from Luke 18, was to pray and not lose heart. To pray and not lose heart. He's exhorting his followers uh, to pray and not lose heart, and he did it by telling a story, the parable of the persistent widow. And I addressed that in three different parts. One, the context, so it was helpful to understand the parable once you went back and look at Luke 17, and then the content, the actual parable itself we looked at, and we looked at both of those last week, and then the final point of the sermon is this week's sermon, the case. So the context, the content, and the case, and today we're looking at the case, a case of prayer. So I wanted to think about what Jesus' words were, pray and don't lose heart, and then go and look at a person praying who is losing heart. And that's Psalm 13, Psalm 13. So first of all, we just want to take this in the heading, and there are usually headings on these psalms, and this one I think is particularly helpful, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So this is a psalm of King David, a person whom God had said about. God looks at King David, you remember what he says? This is a man after God's own heart. This wasn't, wasn't an assessment of somebody else. This wasn't David's assessment. This was God's assessment of David. I look at David and I can tell he's got a heart that really beats for the things of God. And I just want to immediately sort of scratch my head 
and think, how could a man after God's own heart pray this prayer? I mean, how could a man after God's own heart be such in such severe emotional and spiritual trauma? I mean, I thought if you had a good quiet time, came to church regularly, gave and serve, then God sort of gave you a good life. Doesn't happen that way. Doesn't happen for David, doesn't happen for the Apostle Paul, doesn't happen for Jesus that way. And so perhaps just thinking about this being a song of David is clarifying for you. It's reorienting that you wouldn't keep moving forward in your life with the Lord thinking, if I just do all the right things, if I have a really close walk with God, then my life will be great. It doesn't work that way. And probably you know it, but it's perhaps a few of you don't know it yet, so I'm trying to help you not get lost when you start singing Psalm 13 as your own. A couple of books I want to uh, mention through the sermon and they'll be on the information that you get later in the week, so you don't have to write these down. But a prayer, a prayer in the Night, Prayer in the Night. This is by an Anglican priest whose name is Tish Warren. And she had some struggles <clears throat> as an Anglican priest personally, and she wrote this book, Prayer in the Night. Another pastor, Mark Rogop, I think is how you say his last name, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Both people in pain, spiritual pain, both people who walk with the Lord, both people who we would assume have a, a heart after God have sung Psalm 13. And Tish Warren in Prayer in the Night, she says this, It was a gray Sunday morning when I was in college. A few months before, a three-year-old boy in our congregation had drowned. Our church was still staggered in grief as the pastor preached about trusting God. He said, you can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. And I was staggered. I was dumbstruck. What he said was self-evidence. Yet in some wordless place deep within, this may be you, in some wordless place deep within, I had hoped God would keep bad things from happening to me. Wasn't that God's job? Anybody ever thought that? God cannot be trusted to do that because God never makes that promise, she goes on to say. Doing so is apparently not his job. Our creator allows us to remain vulnerable. We know this because God did not keep bad things from happening to God himself. People close to God suffer. So it's a song of David, a man after God's own heart who is suffering, who's losing heart. Second, we see it's to the choir master. A lot of times when you read through the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, it'll give you a particular uh, location, why he's writing this, something's happening in, a, in the background. And so in Psalm 42, David is hiding in a cave. And when you go to Psalm 142, it says, David in a cave. So you know something's happening there externally that helps you understand to connect with his emotion. Psalm 51 is written after his uh, adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm 13 was delivered to the choir master. You see that? Meaning, David writes this song, 
and he delivers it to the choir master saying, hey, this, is, this feeling is going to be so common, everybody needs to sing it. This isn't a unique time where I'm in a cave. This isn't a unique time when I have sinned and fallen. No, this is an everyday kind of time. And this needs to be sung. This, this is a psalm that was originally meant to be sung, not preached from. It's going to be so common that everybody needs to know this. It's going to be on like the favorites playlist. When I was in middle school, somehow we ended up with a jukebox in our garage. I don't know how we got it. It didn't have anything to do with me. My dad must have brought it home somehow. And it had 45s. If you don't know what a 45 is, I don't have time to explain it to you. Just ask somebody who's got some gray hair. But these little discs, they were all sort of in a circle, so cool. And you would press the keys, you know, A6. And the wheel would spin. And this thing that sort of looked like a, a sickle grabbed grabbed A6 and put it on the turntable. Now, again, turntable, a lot of you don't know what that is. And then it would play. And we noticed over time, certain buttons got used more than other times. Why? Because certain songs were favorites. You want to hear that song again. So A6 got pushed a lot, but B18, you know, very clean key, whatever that was. Psalm 13 is two keys you're going to punch over and over again in your life. It's not necessarily your everyday psalm, but all through your life, you're going to have a Psalm 13 experience, and you're going to say, I'm feeling this way. I need someone else's words. I need to borrow someone else's words in my pain, and I'm going to press Psalm 13. And this is the song that you're going to be helped by. Again, prayer of the night. Always towering and certain as a mountain. This is a great description of a dad. Always towering, Tish, Tish Warren. Always towering and certain as a mountain. My dad died. We moved from Austin, Texas to Pittsburgh. The season was so bleak, we called it Pits of Despairburg. A few months later, I had my second miscarriage. I fell into a dark hole. I was a priest who couldn't pray. When my strength waned and my words ran dry, I needed to fall into a way of belief that would carry me. I needed someone else's prayers. I needed the Psalms. See, you're going to fall into a hole. The reason Jesus is telling us about the parable of the persistent widow is so you would pray and not lose heart. He knows there's going to be times you are going to feel like losing heart. And at that time, you don't have the energy to come up with your own language, so you borrow somebody else's prayer. And Psalm 13 is one of those prayers. When you can't pray, you use Psalm 13. That's why it's a song to the choir master. Now, this psalm breaks into three easy parts, despair, demands, and a decision. Prayer of despair, prayer of demands, and then a prayer of a decision. Verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord? You see that four times? Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face? Must I take my own counsel? Am I going to have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long? How long will my enemies exalt? You feel that despair immediately. How long did it feel like David was going to be in pain? Well, he tells you. feels like forever. 
It feels like it's all my days. It feels like your face is hidden from me. I can't seem to find you. And David is what in what I call, he's in what I call, and some of you will be familiar with this, the frame of pain. Remember the frame of pain? The frame of pain is when you, when you are in pain, let's say you hit your thumb with a hammer, your whole life shrinks down to your thumb, right? Your whole being is like, my thumb really hurts right now. It's like your whole life is wrapped up in this little pain. But a lot of us have bigger pains, and they consume like all the windshield of our world. Everything we look at, we look through this frame of pain. And if you're not careful, you can get stuck in the frame of pain. And usually, it's just a human attribute that when you're in the frame of pain, you stretch it out. Meaning... I've always felt this way. It'll never end. That's what everyone does when they're in the frame of pain. They're exaggerating, saying, I've always been unhappy. I'm never going to be happy again. That's the frame of pain. That's where David is right now. He's in the frame of pain, and he's, he's saying, hey, this is going to last forever. These are the feelings, the raw feelings you have when you're in, you're in pain. How long? David's stuck in the frame of pain. And in this, the hardest part about suffering is you don't know how long. Wouldn't it be easier if God would just say, okay, this is going to be a season, but by April 1st, the season's going to lift. Wouldn't that make it easier? I mean, you could sort of bear underneath it. But you don't know. You don't know if it's a week. You don't know if it's a month. You don't know if it's a longer season. And it's creating this psychological and emotional fatigue for David. How long, how long, how long, how long? C.S. Lewis, great Christian writer, one of his last books, if not his last book, was A Grief Observed. His wife, who he'd married three years before, contracted cancer and died. So he wrote a book just trying to observe himself, observe his grief and write about it. Here's his reflections, and the tone of this part is Psalm 13, 1 and 2. Go to God when you need, when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. A sound of a double bolting door on the inside. After that, you find silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. Was it ever inhabited? Hear this? This is the guy who's written a, a mere Christianity already. This is a guy who's already written a case for Christianity. This is a guy who's already written the Chronicles of Narnia. He's in the frame of pain. And he's saying, it feels like I've looked into this window where I thought I might find God and there's no light. And then he wonders out loud the same thing you've wondered. Was he ever there? You ever been in that frame where all that you believe starts coming into question and now you're wondering if what I really believed was even real. This is where Lewis was. This is where David is in the first two verses here. If you've ever felt abandoned, forgotten, like God has turned out the lights, welcome to Psalm 13. Welcome to David. Welcome to Lewis's life. This is part of the normal Christian life. 
David's despair, point number two, quickly turns into demands, verses three and four. This verse, is, verse three, it's not the best translation. Consider and answer me seems very polite, but that's not David's tone here. In the Hebrew, this is, this is an imperative. This means uh, something needs to happen right now. And a better translation would be, look at me, listen to me. I've had these kinds of prayers, not, not many, but I can remember them. God, you're nowhere to be found. Can you pay attention? Do you see me right now? Do you understand the pain that I'm in right now? Can't you do something? How long is it going to last? This is, this is no prim and proper prayer. This is raw emotions. It's, it's heavy you notice in verse 4, he uses this phrase, light up my eyes. Many scholars will say this was an expression of depression. I mean, the eyes in my soul are going dim. The, the emotional weight for me is so heavy, I just don't see any way forward. His desperate plea turns into demanding and it feels like someone who's slipping into depression and is afraid I'm, I might not come back out. And this is a prayer in the Bible. Hmm. What I think David is modeling for us is this, what it looks like to bring your feelings before God. You're going to have this need it's not always prim and proper feelings. It's not all, let, let me get my phrases just right. No, look at me now. Where are you? It's going to be that kind of raw prayer. I'm so glad it's in the Bible. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity to get to the point of being emotionless. That's no sign of spiritual maturity. This is David. He's been through a lot already. He's crying out because his feelings are crushed. When you're experiencing darkness or trauma, it's important to name the reality of your experience, to acknowledge what's happening. It's a, it's a lament, the Bible says. And David's lament is like, a, like allowing a stream to run through your soul so you don't get stuck in the frame of pain. You're saying, I'm naming it. This is why I feel this way. This is why I'm hurting. And I need to have it like a, a stream or else I just bury it and I get stuck and I get warped in some way. David doesn't want to get stuck in the frame of pain, so he's emoting. A few years ago, I had a very strange and delightful conversation. Uh, a lady called me. I answered my phone. It was an 80-year-old or maybe an 85-year-old lady on the other end who lived in Arkansas. And she was my mother's best friend. Now, my mother died 37 years ago now, cancer. So this was, her name is Linda. This, I wasn't best friends with my mother's best friend. It's been a very long time since I had heard or talked to Linda but she found my name on the internet and my phone number. And she called and said, I'd like to talk about your mother. We cried and we laughed. 
We lived near Linda for one year when I was four years old after my father died. My mother was 34, and she had four children between five and ten. And she's single now. And she lives near her best friend, Linda. And so while we were on the phone, I asked Linda, what was that season like for my mother? You know, as a four-year-old, you're completely unaware of your parents' emotions. Your world is just this big, right? And she said, oh, your mom. She was a person of unusual joy. And she loved to sing. Yet in that season, she only sang sad songs there's going to be a season for just sad songs but that's how you don't get stuck in the frame of pain is to let just I've got to sing that sad song one more time I've got to use his words because it expresses something I can't express for myself It's a way of letting those emotions run through your soul so you don't get stuck. And there will be a season for you, as there was for my mother and has been for me and for many of you, that Psalm 13 are the keys that you hit for a season. Then there's a decision that needs to be made. Verse 5, you see it, a turning point. Key, Key word in the Bible Very small, but you always want to circle it. But. You ever talk to somebody and they're saying something and you think, there's a but coming here. I mean, they're saying a lot of things, but there's going to be a turning point. And David's, he's he's just full on with all of his, his emotions. He's not afraid to let it fly, but there's a turning point. But I have trusted in the Lord. This is a decision that David made. Listen to the words from Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Lament is intended to lead us somewhere. In verse 5, we've reached the destination. And I hope you sense the opportunity before you. But you're going to have to make a choice to take the final step. I know far too many people who are stuck in their complaints. The word but marks for David a critical turn towards trust. Last sentence. Trust is believing what you know to be true, even though your suffering might call that belief into question. It's a very key. Trust is believing you know to be true, even though your suffering, your heart, is calling that into question. You feel that tension? I know something to be true, but I feel this way about it right now. And at that, when you have that tension, at some point, you're going to have to decide to trust. To trust. The, dis, the circumstances between verse 4 and verse 5 haven't changed. He still has the same pain that he's carrying into verse 5. Yet he's choosing to trust. And for some of you, you might just put on your prayer card, I've got to choose to trust. Because I'm stuck in the frame of pain. I, I'm just in this complaint mode, even if it's not verbally, in my mind. 
and I've got I've to move on from the frame of pain. I've got to let it go. I've got to let my emotions flow out of me. I've got to sing one through four, but I've got to get to verse five. It, the lament leads you somewhere to say, but I'm trusting God. I'm recalling facts about God that I've trusted in his steadfast love. See, David has a history with God. He can go back to other frames and say, I know God was really faithful back there when I faced Goliath. And I know he can be faithful in the future, so I'm going to just trust right now in the history that I have about God. No one was more familiar with pain than the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was not allowed to marry, couldn't have children. He preached to a congregation in a country that self-destructed. That his congregation and country dwindled under his preaching. His best and most popular sermon was his first. And then he went downhill in terms of popularity. In the very end, his own congregation literally drove a spear through his back while he was praying. So Jeremiah is familiar with suffering. So familiar that he writes a, whole, uh, writes a whole book about it. You know what it's called? Lamentations. It's a whole book of laments. I've got a whole life of laments, Jeremiah is saying. And listen to this portion in chapter 3. Very key. Listen to the very beginning. This is Psalm, one, this is Psalm 13, 1 and 2. God has driven me into the darkness without any light. This is, this is somebody chosen by God for a special assignment. God has driven me into the darkness without any light. His hand is against me the whole day. Though I cry out for help, he shuts, up, he shuts out my prayer. My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. You feel that? The light's gone out. There is no hope. I'm stretching my frame from end to end of my life. But... I call this to mind, therefore I hope, have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, what? Never ceases. In the midst of this darkness, he's calling something to the mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to the end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, Jeremiah has to make a decision. His circumstances don't change, but his mindset has to change in the midst of those circumstances he has to decide to trust in God and for some of you just might just be in that spot today I've just got to decide to trust in God my circumstances may never change and I've got to still trust him it's a hard place pastor Brian Moritz an African-American preacher really a great speaker spoke on this sermon and he makes this as a way of illustration when you're going through a crisis, remember this, your feelings make wonderful passengers but horrible drivers. Isn't that great? Your feelings are like the two-year-old. They need to be in the car. Don't stuff them in the trunk, right? I mean, don't stuff your two-year-old in the trunk, no matter how bad of a day it is. They need to be in the car. We strap them in, we engage them with them, but we don't let them behind the wheel. When you're going through tough times, always let what you know about God trump how you may feel about God. This is key. You're going to have these feelings. 
They're going to be like the two-year-old. You're not going to be able to control them all the time. You can't throw them out of the car. You can't stuff them in the trunk. They've got to be in there with you. They help you in some ways, but you've got to strap them down. You can't let them take over the wheel of your life. And when that's happening, you have to say, I'm going to trust what I know about God over how I feel about God right now. That's a tough thing to do. But you're going to press Psalm 13 at some point in your life, and you're going to need to do that. How do you make it through the frame of pain? How do you pray and not lose heart? Well, you remember that darkness comes on those who love God and are loved by God. It's not new. You're not the only one who's felt this way. That's why we have Psalm 13. You borrow someone else's words. When you're in pain, you have very few words. You just can't come up when you're emotionally exhausted. So you borrow a word, you borrow a prayer like David's. And you sing this song and you let it flow like a river through your soul and sort of wash you through into another season. And at some point, you, you have to decide. Nobody can take the step for you. The pain may still be there, but you've got to decide to trust in the Lord. I love how David concludes his song, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. Some of you, especially musicians, you know what sympathetic resonance is? You know what this is? I didn't know it until this week. But if you, if you hit a tuning fork to a certain frequency, which we would call uh, a, a scale G, this, the sound G or C or D, and then you take that tuning fork that's ding, and you put it next to a guitar that's not being played, the string that's keyed to G starts vibrating. Isn't that cool? Some of you are saying, nerd alert, okay. <laughs> but, but someone's sound over here, if it gets to a cold string, can start the string vibrating. So here's my hope. David, I think he's singing. And I think he's going to say, I know there's some people in the congregation that aren't singing. You do love the Lord. You do trust the Lord. But for whatever reason, circumstances called your string to go cold. And my hope is that as we sing at the end, there'll be sympathetic resonance to your soul. Even if you don't sing, your heart may start vibrating. Okay, that's right. That's right. You begin to move away from that season. And trust in the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, there's nothing magic about our prayer. Uh, there's nothing magic about this card. But there is something divine about it. Because you are a God who exists. You're a God who is bringing things about in a certain way. You're a God who is faithful. You're a God who is trustworthy. You're a God who sees everything all at once at the same time. You're never confused. You're never late. And so as we write different names or situations or things on our card, uh, would you just hear these tears, these concerns, these fears, these joys, these anticipations, and would you use... Uh, this season, this 2023 season, to come in and, and shape 
answer or reorient these prayers in a way that would keep our hearts vibrating toward you. Pray this in Jesus' name.